Every book tells two stories. The first is the tale inside the page. The second is a story about its reader. Each book that we choose to keep on our shelves tells a chapter in the story of our lives. So join me, Alex Cool, as I speak to authors, illustrators, publishers and booksellers about their shelf life. My guest on the latest episode of Shelf Life is Sheila O'Flanagan, the number one best-selling author and journalist. Her latest novel, The Women Who Ran Away, is available now. Hello, Sheila. Thank you for joining me. Hello, and thank you for having me. You're very welcome. How, how are you doing? How's lockdown treating you over there? Well, uh, we, like yourselves, I guess we have um, gradually started to open up a little bit. Um, the big initially uh, and like with everybody it was it was very difficult and it was very overwhelming um the big problem that we have now there are the big big talking point in ireland at the moment is that the the pubs were due to reopen on the 20th of july and that has been pushed out till the 10th of august and there are people walking around you know looking a bit shocked about that Oh, they'll have to stay home and uh, and read your books instead. <laughs> well, there's that. There's that. But I mean, we can go out. We can go out to restaurants and stuff like that. I I, I mean, I think the concern really was big gatherings in 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 pubs, and um, you know, I understand that. Are you a big reader? I think anybody who writes has to have been a big reader. Um, it's the love of books that probably propels you to write. I think in the first place. Um, you you just want to share that same joy um, with other people reading your stuff as you had reading um, reading great books by by other authors. So I'm a I'm a I love reading and I'll be an eclectic reader. I mean there isn't anything that I would say I would never read. Although some things perhaps I enjoy more than others, but um, but yeah, I mean I will I'll give every book a, a shot. So that must have made it quite hard because I asked you to choose seven books that uh, changed your life in some way. Uh, how did you go about picking them? Well, I tried to think of books that in that sort of have but informed my writing life, but also you know uh, had an impact on me as a, as a person. I, I think I've probably slightly gone more for the ones that that affected me as a writer or or somebody who was thinking of wanting to be a writer um but but that's so much bound up in your own personality that um it's, it's hard to know and and i just kind of sat there and went i can't do this um i i just felt it was just really really difficult because at different points in your life as well different books have a, a meaning or you know give you something so um yeah i i, I just thought seven books i i've often thought you know that desert island discs program i think they should do it with the books instead of the music because <laughs> you know they, they only let you take one book on that so uh, that would be hopeless <laughs> hopeless for me well, that is what inspired the podcast. So I, I was thinking, really? what, what seven books? I don't care about the music. I want to take a library with me. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, on that note, what is your first choice? Well, my first choice, um, it's a series of books, and I, I read them when I was a child. Um, I think I started reading these when I was about 10. And it's the Chalet School series by Eleanor M. Brent Dyer. And... Um, the the basis I mean, the, the the first book i think was published in the late 1930s and and they kind of went right up to sometime in the late 40s i think um 
so that the premise behind this is, is kind of very interesting and a, a, a social commentary at the start I think that uh, um, kind of genteel English woman opens a school, not a finishing school, but just a school for girls um, in Switzerland. No, sorry, in the Austrian Tyrol to start off with. Um, and so her, her younger sister, Joey, who is one of the protagonists in the book, um, was somebody that I totally identified with because like me, uh, she had what was called at the time a bad chest, but it's now kind of asthma. And, um, and she she was a bit of a tomboy and she liked reading and she liked writing. So two things happened there. I identified with this character. And then, I mean, we're talking about, you know, Ireland back in the 1960s, which wasn't a, a thrilling place to live. This was a, you know, they, they were in Austria. It was somewhere I'd never even, I, I mean, I'd heard of, but like the whole idea of reading a book where the, there was a school, a boarding school in a place that I'd never been to. It was just really drew me in and really exciting for me and um the series t follows uh, various different uh, they have various different lead protagonists as they go along but the characters age as the series goes on and joey herself um ultimately gets married and has children but she also becomes a novelist and she writes really you know popular books and everybody loves her but i i think that it also you know because it's going over time it covers the war years and Hitler's annexation of Austria. So you've got an awful lot of, of interesting, you know, historical information as well. And um, the other thing about this, this school was that the girls came from a variety of different backgrounds and a variety of different countries. And in the school, they spoke English one day, French another day, and German a third day. And I thought this was fascinating. And I, I was saying to myself, why do we not do that in schools all the time? How, how brilliant would that be? Um, so it it fostered, I suppose, a love in that of me in that whole kind of idea of taking characters and watching them grow. Um, it fosters a love of the idea of traveling and going to different places, a love of languages. And um, I just found it really opened up my mind and it opened up my mind to possibilities. Obviously, in terms of the writing and, and, and you know, the stories themselves, um, as I got older, I read them a little bit more critically, you know. There was a bit of a thing where any time there seemed to be a hole in the plot and um, the author would make somebody seriously ill, you know, it was just like, Let, let's make somebody ill. But other than that, um, they were well-written, they were pacey, you know, they drew you in and there were all sorts of moral dilemmas all the time going, in, going on in those stories. So I loved them. And I recently, about three years ago, I was saying, because there's about 45 books, I mean, there's maybe, there's loads of them. Um, uh, I was saying that I would love to read them again. And, and somebody on Twitter said to me, I had nearly have the whole collection. Would you, would you like me to send them to you? And I said, oh my God, yeah, I would. And so I think it was only missing about four books out of the, the entire series. And I, I, I read them all again. And although obviously they can't really stand the test of time in terms of, of attitudes and everything, it was just a real joy to, to reread them. I, I was going to ask, have you read them all? So obviously you have twice. <laughs> twice, I know. Well, actually, when I was younger, I read them all multiple times. Um, I, because, again, you know this thing where you're waiting, it's, it's a series and you're waiting for the next book to come out. Um, well, although they had all been written, the bookstore didn't have them all in at the same time. So you'd have to go in and say, 
do you have the next one? They'd say, yeah, we're not getting that for about three months or something. Oh my God. So I'd read, read, reread them. I think they were sort of more grown up than Ina Blyton, who was also, you know, did those school story things. Uh, you know, the themes were, were a little bit more mature, not mature, you know, but that they were, things were dealt with in a slightly more mature way. And there were, I mean, there were deaths and there were illnesses and there were a lot of things going on because um, <clears throat> the, the stories were also, the, the school was set near a sanatorium. One of the, the teachers was married to a, a doctor who worked in the sanatorium. The sanatorium was for people with TB. So um, it told you a lot about, well, infectious diseases and things like that. And it was, you know, it was very interesting. Um, at a time before vaccines and antibiotics and things like that, you know, how serious it was to get a bad cold and how serious things like those kind of what we take would imagine today are kind of minor illnesses, how serious they were. So, um, you know, I, I just love them. Uh, and I love the fact that they, they moved from, um, they started off in Austria and then the war came, they had to move back to the UK and then they went back to, they went to Switzerland instead of Austria. It was just fantastic. So, um, yeah, I, I, I love them. And would you say that, I mean, obviously you said about the, one of the main protagonists being a writer and then becoming a novelist. Is that what inspired you? Well, do you know, I, I, I wanted to be her in a lot of ways. I wanted to, I mean, she had a great life in this, in this school in the, in the mountains and everything. But I could kind of see, I, she made the, the, the writer made being a writer not sound really glam, make it sound like hard work. You know, I mean, it was, she talked about how difficult it was doing some of her books and everything. And I thought, yeah, yeah, you know, to get it right, it can't always be easy all the time. And I just really identified with her now. I don't know about inspired, but it made me feel, yeah, I, I could do this. What's your uh, next choice? My next choice is a book called Dublin Four by the late great Maeve Binchy, Irish author and beloved around the world. And um, I'm not sure exactly when Dublin Four came out. I think it was probably the early eighties. And it's a set. It's a it's a short book. It's four longish short stories, um, set in an area of of Dublin where the postcode was four. So it was called Dublin Four, and there were four books. So you know you can see where that was that was coming from. But the key thing for this, for me, was <clears throat> that it was it was this, a collection of books where the protagonists were from or living in the city. And we know in Ireland we have a great um, tradition of storytelling and, and, you know, some fantastic novelists and, and brilliant stories. But an awful lot of them up to that point, uh, and, and I certainly felt this, an awful lot of them were based in a kind of <clears throat> rural culture, and because Ireland was very much a, a rural uh, society. So suddenly this book came along and uh, was published in Ireland, and it was a book that was set in the city, and was the women were the protagonists. And this had also been a big thing for me, and, and it was one of the reasons that I wanted to write myself was that... Um, women were always seen as a kind of an adjunct in, in the stories. They were there as somebody's wife or mother or daughter or whatever. And their role was always a role that seemed to be helping the guy to go on his journey or, or, or in some ways, you know, 
holding up a mirror to the to the man who was the main protagonist. And then I felt, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in the suburbs and women are, you know, at the forefront of these things. And why is nobody writing about them? And um, and this set of stories did that. And one of them, which which kind of stayed with me, and, and the reason it stayed with me was because I had had a similar idea for a story myself. And then I looked and went, oh my God, this is my story. But it was a woman who who is quite quite well off and everything and she's having a dinner party and one of the guests at the dinner party because it's it's it, it's been organized by her husband or he has asked her to have this one of the guests is his husband's lover and she has to put up with that and she has to deal with that and it was brilliantly done absolutely brilliantly done and way better than I would have ever done it so you know I, I, I just held my hands up and said fair enough Maeve off you go but um I found that I found that collection actually just incredibly inspiring, and they were great stories. You know, they were really, really good stories. But I, I, I did find it inspiring. So was that when you started to write around that time? I was, yeah. At that point, I was scribbling away, and and as I said, I'd had that kind of a similar idea to 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 that story with the husband's lover in my head, and um, and then I saw that it had been written and it had been published. You know, and I kind of felt at that time, again, as I said, I think it's the early 80s, it never occurred to me that Irish people could write books and they would be read outside of your own small community. Um, but Maeve was was becoming at that point an international writer. And, and I suddenly thought, you know, it doesn't have to just be very small. I mean, you know, you could have a, a bigger ambition. You could write a book and maybe it will be published and maybe people outside of Dublin 4 would actually read it. Have you ever um, published yourself any short story collections or is it something you three. want to Three. I have three short story collections. And um, one of them, um, which is called The Moment We Meet, is, is a bit of an homage to, again, uh, one of Maeve's ideas because she wrote a collection of stories called Victoria Line and Central Line. They were set sat, set beg your pardon, uh, on the tube in, in London. And uh, gosh, it's like about 25 years ago now or something. We, we put up a new commuter dart system, a commuter train system is called the dart. And um, I used to travel on it in and out to work. And uh, different to the tube, you know, where you're underground, but I was, as the, the train would go by people's windows, I'd be looking in the houses and I'd be thinking of things. And, and so I, I wrote my short story, first short story collection around that commuting journey um, on the dart. So each story was a different, a different station. So, and then my other two collections, um, one was a kind of a Christmas themed collection. It didn't start out being Christmas themed collection, but I said the first story, in a hotel at Christmas and I thought you know what maybe I could do this again uh, and so I did and and then the the third one uh, which was which is called as season of change is is also set but in a hotel but this time in the Caribbean so um yeah I like to bring people together in a space for short stories and then kind of pick my way uh, through those do you prefer writing short stories or do you prefer the longer form novel well, I mean, I, I like writing short stories um, because of the fact that they are short. You know, I like that instant gratification that you get from a short story. But I, I would honestly say that writing a good short story 
is equally hard, if not harder, than writing a novel because every word has to count. You know, everything matters in the short story. You can't have a lot of stuff going on that, that, that's not important. You can't have some padding. You can't have a lot of backstory. You've really got to distill it in quite, quite concisely. So I like the challenge of short stories. So I, I do enjoy them. But then, you know, writing a novel, it gives you a great opportunity to flex, you know, and to, to embrace a whole load of different things and bring the story into different places. So I like both. Um, but I have an affection for short stories. What is your third choice? My third choice is a representative novel. It's actually short stories as well, but it's representative of the work of P.G. Woodhouse, who I think is one of the greatest writers ever to have walked the earth. Um, and the one that I picked, I mean, I could have picked any of his books, to be perfectly honest, I really could. Um, but I picked The Golf Omnibus because it's a, it's a long uh, collection of, or a big collection of short stories uh, where set around golf as, as a theme. And P.G. Woodhouse just has the most amazing turn of phrase. He is able to write characters that are... are you know, they're, they're cliched characters, but he writes them in such a way that you're sitting there laughing your head off at them. And he's such a pick-me-up. The Golf Omnibus is an exploration, even though it's, it's funny and it's, you know, every story is hilarious, but it's an exploration of obsession as well. And you know, these, the golf bore, you know, these people who just believe that golf is the most important thing in the world. Um, and everybody in these stories believes that like there is nothing that golf is the only thing in their lives that matters but they're all always falling in love with people as well you know so, so they have matches where they're thinking if if i win this match i will go and ask this girl to marry me <laughs> but you know they they're so funny the the but the english is so beautiful i have never met anybody who writes like pg woodhouse who writes english so 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 elegantly as him, I, I remember he he has a description of somebody um, landing a ball on the green, and he said it plopped like a poached egg beside the hole. And I just thought, God, that's exactly what it sounds like when you hear him, a, a ball landing on the, on the green. It's like, Tuck. um, and so so they the, the golf omnibus would be one of my pick me ups if I ever feel depressed or upset or whatever, because every single story in it is an absolute gem. As I said, though, having said that, anything by P.G. Woodhouse is, is, would pick you up because he's just, you know, I'm in awe of P.G. Woodhouse as a writer. The characters in uh, these short stories, as you say, are obsessed by golf. Is there anything outside of writing and stories that you're obsessed by? Oh. That's a that's a, a really good question. Um, I I'm, I wouldn't say I'm obsessed, but I do play sport. I I, I play badminton, and the characters in the in, in the golf omnibus all want to win. You know, they 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 want to win. When I'm playing badminton, I I, I want to win, and it's take me a long time to realize that I'm a competitive person. You know, people say, oh, you're very competitive. And I go, no, 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 I just want to win. You know, I didn't realize that actually means I'm very competitive. Um, so, so, and then there was a big period of time, you know, in my twenties and thirties where I, I would have played maybe 
six days a week. You know, I, I, I played a lot. Um, I, I'm, I'm not the sort of person, like in, in, in these stories, guys would go to bed with their golf clubs right beside the bed so they could look at them in the, in the morning. I, I would not sleep with my badminton racket or anything like that. But um, so uh, in, in terms of sport, maybe that's it. I think I'm, I'm not really the sort of person that, that allows themselves to get obsessed outside of books and reading, which, which has been an obsession of mine in any event um, since I was about four. And a perfectly valid one as well. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> what is your uh, fourth choice? Um, my fourth choice, I'm, I'm picking it's a trilogy. It, you see, I, I guess your, your kind of thing of saying seven books. Um, I, I stretched the boundaries of that a little bit, maybe. Um, and it's, it's a trilogy called A Kind of Loving by Stan Barstow. And... Um, this, I mean, I think Sam Barstow, probably back in the 60s, might have been a, a really well-known novelist. Um, but this, this is a, these, this trilogy is, is, is told from the point of view of a man and um, is a young guy growing up in, in the north of England. And it, the, the novels are set in the 60s and the early 70s. And it's really an exploration of, you know, your hopes and your dreams versus reality. Um, because he, 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 although he comes from, I th think it's a, a mining background or a, um, certainly a, you know, working class background. Uh, it's a while since I've, I've actually read this, so I, I'm not 100% sure of the, the exact um, trade, but, but that's the background he comes from. And he has ambition and he wants to do more and he wants to, he's thinking he wants to go to London and he wants to have a good life and he wants to do a whole heap of things. Um, at the same time, like his parents don't, don't really understand that. But then he, um, as, as you do, he, meet, he meets a girl and they go out and she is madly in love with him um, and she's expecting a life, you know, and she gets pregnant and he ends up marrying her. And so her vision of what the life is is coming to pass and he's married and he has responsibilities and people are always talking to him about his responsibilities. Um, and it's a really, it's just that, that exploration of you, you're expected to do a certain thing. And certainly back in the 60s, he would have been expected to marry her, you know, and um, how you react when all of your dreams and thoughts have been taken away from you. And so it's, oh, well, no, you can't go to London and do this. You're going to have to get a job in whatever the local factory is, which he does, you know, and he does start to move ahead. And then, then there's the tension between him still wanting what he has always wanted. And she's saying, but we have a family and no, you have to forget about all that. I think possibly looking at things now and looking back, you know, looking at how people live their lives now versus the sixties. I mean, the opportunity for you to, to expand and follow your dreams is, is much greater than it was then. And of course, social mobility is, is greater to, 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 to some extent, but at the same time, sometimes I think people do get trapped into what they think other people want of them. And this is a really good exploration of that. And again, the writing is beautiful and the characters are really well drawn. And um, it wasn't, you know, when I was reading it, again, it, very early on in, in like I would have been in my 20s, I thought the way that the topics were covered were really, really interesting because it, it, there was no judgment in it. It was just, this is what's happened. Um, and so, yeah, a, a really interesting 
trilogy of books. So I'm glad to get all three of them in under one choice. There must be a bound copy of all of them somewhere that I can allow you to have. <laughs> I'm sure I have them separately, but I, yeah, I bet. So an omnibus edition. <laughs> Um, a Kind of Loving is actually, it's quite unique uh, in that there's a TV, film, radio and a stage adaptation of it. Uh, yeah. Is there any of your, have any of your books been adapted or do you, uh, are any in the process of being adapted for any of those? Well, sadly, no, at, at the moment. I mean, there's been a couple of times that, that it's, it's become... You know, it, it's a possibility of something happening, and it just—you know—you would lose the will to live. Actually, um, waiting for the, for for things to happen. So, um, at the moment, no. Uh, I I would be quite happy at this point if 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 one was. But my I suppose my my feeling as an author, you know, is I read books for people to read. If they get adapted, that that would be lovely. But it's not my focus I mean people often say to me oh but if it was made into a film wouldn't that be great and you know it would on one level but as a writer to me that's sort of irrelevant um it'd be lovely just for the the promo and for for all of that side of it but as 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 a writer um my my joy and my creativity I guess is is really in creating the the book and writing the book and and writing a story that people can can read on their own you know that that you can sit there and you can draw your own, you know, visualize it yourself. I, I like that. Um, I mean, I like movies, I like TV. I, I've got more into TV stuff now, you know, now, now that we have streaming and you've got those, um, you know, 10 episode things that you can watch one after the other. Um, and that gives a lot more opportunity, I think, for characters to be developed. Cause that's what's important to me about, about creativity and, and writing and reading and um, and you can't really do that I think it's hard to do that not that you can't do it but you have to have the exact right material to do that I think in a movie um, but yeah like I say if somebody comes along and says here we want to take your book and adapt it absolutely great I'm not going to say no but I'm not holding my breath for that. Would you ever be tempted to um go into that side of the writing i know you were just saying about novel writing and creating that sort of story is is your thing but well screenplay? yeah in one of the yeah in one of the near um near misses maybe that we had um i actually worked on a screenplay and it was very interesting um, and it's completely different um completely different discipline and completely different way of writing so i enjoyed the challenge of that and I enjoyed the challenge of trying to make the characters as real for the screenplay as they were in, in the novel. It's it's harder to do that when you're just dealing with dialogue and that is very interesting for me because I enjoy writing dialogue in the books but I realised that I enjoy writing dialogue with something behind it you know and it's very difficult when you're just doing dialogue <clears throat> but the screenplay is there so I, I feel okay I've done that and you never know it may yet see the light of day again and um, so I, I do like different challenges. Absolutely, I do. What's book number five? Book number five, um, I thought about this for quite a while because I wasn't sure whether I was going to include it or not. Um, and yet I am because I think about it a lot now and that's 1984 by George Orwell. And, you know, I mean, it doesn't take a lot of explanation uh, to talk about 1984 I suppose it's the theme of it that 
it struck me when I first read it. I mean, I, can't, I have to say I'm not a mad fan of Orwell's style of writing, you know, but I, but his vision and his themes um, are just, were just way ahead of their time in a, in a lot of ways. Because I did think about Animal Farm as well. I thought, oh gosh, we're, we're in between the, those two things. But um, like the concept in 1984, and it's incredible to think that that's what, 30 years ago now. And, um, the concept behind it, the concept of the totalitarian state and the thought police, and you being told to not believe the evidence of your eyes. I just cannot believe that now we're sitting in these times and and it's sort of a reality in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, obviously not in the way <clears throat> that, that Orwell envisioned it, but we have become that kind of society in, in, in many ways. And the whole fake news thing, the whole, I suppose he wasn't thinking of, of so much of doctored social media, you know, but, but it's prescient. It was so prescient and, and it just shows the way that things can go. It was a warning and we just said, well, that will never happen because every so often people would say, oh, it's a bit 1984-ish. Um, but like we have walked a huge amount of time down, a huge distance down that road. Um, not the way you imagined it, but but actually in a certain way, the way society has become. And I, I think it's really one of the things that I, I, I like with books is their their ability not to reflect a society that may happen. And and some, sometimes it doesn't, great, but sometimes it does. And it's it's both chilling and, you know, it's it's all inspiring that 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 they can do that. 1984 ended up sort of coining the phrase, or, or it was coined about the book, was Orwellian. That was that sort of where mm -hmm. that started being talked about, and it's kind of that as well as Animal Farm that George Orwell is remembered for. Which of your books would you like to be the one that you're remembered for? The one that inspires the O'Flanagan world <laughs> that people are talking about? <laughs> oh, well, I, I mean, interesting enough, one, I, I did an interview a while back and um, the interviewer said to me, you know, she said, I tried to pick out one of your books that would be, you know, your best book or, your, you know, the one I would say was your book. And then I realised that they they all have something about women that there's, there's something about them all that, that is both similar and just different. Um, but I think one of my most popular books, and I, I realized that best and popular are not always the exact same thing, but um, one of my most popular books and the one that, that actually maybe encompassed what I try to do in a book most um, is, is the one called The Missing Wife. Um, because what I try to do when I'm writing is I, I, I look at a situation um, and obviously, like I said earlier on, I, I wanted to write so that women could be the heroes of their own stories. So I, I put them into a situation where they feel perhaps that they're ill-equipped to, to deal with this particular dilemma or whatever, and then let them work their way out of it. And so they have to reach into themselves and maybe deal with issues in their past and find a certain strength and then translate that into into maybe moving forward and the missing wife was a novel that dealt with something that interested me particularly which was the whole um idea of coercive control 
um, which has become more prevalent in, in terms of discussion about it and talk about talking about it in, in recent times. But this and, and, and you know, this the whole gaslighting thing that, that we talk about now and this idea that you are suddenly you're being you're being manipulated by somebody into thinking something that that is not so. And I guess that's a bit Orwellian too, isn't it? Um, but but that's what happened with with um, Imogen. She was in a relationship where she was being controlled, not not abused physically, but she was being controlled by by her husband. And she it takes her a long time to realize it. And when she does realize it, she she try, she makes a plan to to leave him. But she knows she has to leave and not come back and, and you know, disappear um, because she knows that he will come and get her and he will bring her back and she won't be able to do it again. Um, so so that's what basically that that book is about. And for me, probably I had to deal with things that, you know, and, and darker sides of things that I that I didn't have to deal with before. So I was really, I was proud of when I, when I finished it, you know, and, and I was also proud that there were readers who contacted me and said that they had been in similar situations and they had got out of it. I, there were a couple of women that, that said, I am in this situation. I, I, I am hoping to find help. And um, at the back, back of the book, actually, I do give, give a, a list of places to go. I so at the reaction that it got and and how people spoke about it, you know, um, I, I was actually really really happy, happy and pleased about it. But I I think it encapsulates the the concept of the kind of stories that I write of people who who do have to look inside themselves and find something that they didn't maybe know that they had, and use that to to move on in their lives. What is your next choice? My next choice, um, my next choice is The Murder of Roger Ackroyd by Agatha Christie. Now, I'm a big Agatha Christie fan as well. I mean, again, in my teens, you know, she was an adult uh, writer that you could you could read easily enough. You know, um, her books were, were short. They were snappily written. Um, I don't think she gets enough credit, actually, for for the quality of her her characters. I mean, everybody says, oh, they're very, you know, they're very cut out, they're very cardboard. You know, you have the murderer, you have this person, you have that person. I, I actually think her, if, if I had to pick a character, her Miss Marple is actually a brilliant character and, and is very well drawn and it, you know, plays on the, the preconceptions people have about elderly women, you know, so I, I think it's brilliant. But um, Agatha Christie was fantastic with plotting. It's so clever. All of her books, you know, would lead you along. The red herrings were great. The twists were there. And you and when you read them back, you'd say, oh, gosh, I should have seen that. The Murder of Roger Ackroyd was just one of the cleverest books she's ever written. And it did it did blast through some of the tropes of detective fiction. And, you know, she got a lot of stick for it afterwards, but it was so clever. And as the reader, you're, you're brought along the entire way. And I, when I read it the second time again, I said, I should have known who the murderer was. But the first time I didn't. And I just went, oh, my God. And I was furious. And, but but I, I had to take my hat off to her as well. I just thought it was brilliant. So it's one of those things where, you, you know, you're reading a, a book. It's an author who has written loads of books. And you have preconceptions about it. And then 
suddenly she's turned it on her head and it was brilliant. I thought it was just so clever. Has it ever inspired you to get into a similar kind of writing, doing those sort of murder mysteries? Um, I actually don't think, I, I, I wouldn't be any good at writing a mystery, mystery novel or a, or, or a police procedural, but what reading somebody like Agatha Christie did for me was made me realise that you have to keep a certain amount of information back from the, the reader. So you have to hold a certain amount back. Um, and you release it slowly over the time, over the duration of the novel. And so the reader is always learning new things, learning new things about your characters, about the situation that they find themselves in. It's not a linear one, two, three, four, five, and, you know, or you dump everything at the very beginning and, and move on. So I think, although I don't write mystery novels, and, and I, I have taken maybe some of that on board, that concept that you, you have to keep certain amount back but you can't fool the reader either you have to give them all of the information that they need to enjoy the book and but then at various points you know they the characters will do something which is unexpected um so i enjoy doing that in, in books but like not unexpected not out of character just you're, you're maybe thinking oh no they're definitely going to do this and then they don't and you realize why they haven't you know so i remember once uh, uh reader uh, emailing me to say that she had been reading whatever book it was and she had hoped that a certain thing was going to happen and that uh, the character looked like she was going to do something completely different and she was screaming at the page and and screaming at her not to do whatever it was and then I had had the character do something that she wasn't expecting but that was actually equally satisfying from her point of view. And uh, she said, oh, I'm so good. I really enjoyed that. So I like to be able to do that. And I like to think that readers would be shouting at my characters. And I like to think that readers, you know, have an idea of where they want the story to go. And if it goes that way and they're happy, that's good. But I, I like to kind of maybe make it not so obvious that it's going to end up where they might think it's going to go. I think if there's a, a, a way that it's going and you, as a reader, you're thinking it's going this way and then it, takes a left turn and goes somewhere else it's okay as long as you're as long as you can still see that truth in it absolutely absolutely and that's that's um i 100 percent agree with that i think if your character is doing something that suddenly seems to be out of character there has to be some flagging that it's not as out of character as you thought um there has to be a really uh, I, occasionally i i very, very occasionally I do writing workshops and I would say to people, you know, if your character is afraid of water and won't go swimming ever, there has to be a really good reason for them to jump into a pool. And so, you know, you have to have made it plausible that whatever it is, if you're, if you're putting a twist into a novel, you have to make it plausible that, that it will happen. And, and I'm very conscious of that. And I'm, I'm very conscious that, you know, characters are built up a certain way. And, and it does sometimes happen when you're writing that you thought, as the author, you thought a certain thing would happen. And then you realize, actually, my character has moved on. They're not going to do that anymore. I, you know, maybe at the very start, they would have done this, but now they have changed and they're not going to do it. And you have to adapt. So, um, so that's one of the joys of writing a book as well, is that you get carried along by your, by your characters. What's your final choice? Well, my final choice, my final choice is not, um, it's not a fiction 
book at all. Um, it's A Brief History of Time by Stephen Hawking. And um, I like popular science. This is, this is kind of just hard science, actually, some of, some of this, but I like popular science. It's, it's interesting, actually, how many authors like science fiction. Um, we like science fiction, not, as, not necessarily as novels, because I don't, but I love science fiction movies. I love science fiction TV series. I, I love seeing anything to do with science fiction, but I also love, you know, actual science. And um, maybe because we spend a lot of time in our heads um, as authors, we think about the world and our place in it. Um, and then we expand that to think about the world and its place in the universe and, uh, you know, distilling things down and pushing things out. So, you know, I guess one of the things when you're writing, you, you think about what's it all about sometimes, you know, that's, that's one of the things that come to you. And, you know, when you're, you, you look at science, you think about science and you think about the origin of the universe and where we're all going and that entire journey and that entire story. Um, it's nice to know, it's nice to have ideas about, about how all those things have happened and, and, and actual, I do like factual things too. Um, and Stephen Hawking um, did make this accessible. I mean, you have to work to read it. It's not, it's not the one you're going to read just before you fall asleep at night. But um, some of the concepts are actually made understandable, at least for that little bit of time that you're reading it. You know, sometimes I read it and go, yeah, yeah, string, string theory, I have it, I understand it. And then I go and make a cup of tea and I go, oh, what, what the hell was that all about again? But I find it fascinating. I find the whole quantum universe fascinating. The idea that things are happening at such tiny, tiny molecular level, that there's the whole thing going on that we have no clue about. Um, I love the idea and I'm sure lots of Again, creative people kind of like this idea of a universe where there are millions of, you know, there are millions of galaxies, there are trillions, billions, that the size of it is, is, is mind blowing. And you, it's good to read stuff to, to kind of get your head around the vastness and the hugeness and the fact that we are nothing, you know, and I, I say that to myself sometimes when I, you know, I'm obsessing about things, I'm getting upset about, you know, my publication date or, or, or or my deadline or whatever. I said to myself, okay, chill, chill. You know, there is a whole range of other things going on out there. And, you know, this is nothing. And in the, you know, I, I guess in the whole thing of time, um, we're just, we're not even a blink of an eye, you know. And I, it's good to think that sometimes. It's good to remember that sort of stuff. And, you know, when you're trying to get, when you're getting too self-important, when you're, when you're, you know, like I said, obsessing or when you're just thinking, me, me, me. Um, you look at you look at the universe, you look at, I have a telescope and I, and I you know, I, I, I enjoy going out and just looking up at the stars, looking at the planets and thinking, wow, you know, what, where are we? Who are we? It, it's it just, it's very mind settling. But anyway, you know, looking at Stephen Hawking's book and, and all that he's done to make that sort of thing accessible to people like me who, who you know, don't have a, a really good science brain or anything. Um, I think it's really, it behoves us all to read stuff like that from time to time. I remember reading it um, and like you say, you read it and you think, oh, I totally understand this, totally get it. I couldn't tell you now anything about that book. I wouldn't be able to tell you a single thing about black holes. Um, but do, do you find it, 
inspire you? I mean, obviously your books aren't, are all set in the world as we know it, but have you ever been inspired to do a little bit of a, a science fictiony twist at all? Well, uh, well, yes, because I have written two, two books for children and I set them on a different world. And it was a joy to write them. It absolutely was because you could do what you, you do what you like. You could make every single thing up, which was fantastic as a as a writer. So um, yeah, the story is is about a guy who who is running away from some bullies at school, and and as he runs, he runs through this portal that takes him to another world. And and actually, it's just, in some ways it's a slightly Orwellian world in South because people in in this world have been told a particular thing, and they're they're. In, they're they're living in a city that's enclosed by a by a force field by a shield, and um, they believe that everybody outside the shield is their mortal enemy, and so um, there's I mean I won't go into the whole the whole the whole concept behind, but I enjoyed writing that I enjoyed writing that kind of thing because obviously with two younger protagonists they're the children concerned in their teens, and one was the guy from Earth and the other was a girl from this this world, and. Um, they could riff off these things against each other, you know, and she's, she's believing everything that she's told and him thinking that can't be right. So I, I very much enjoyed writing that. And um, yeah, a bit of an odd to Orwell now, now that I think about it. <laughs> Both Stephen Hawking and Orwell. It does sound like it combines quite a few of your, of your <laughs> stories and ideas that yeah. you chose earlier. Yeah. So it's quite nice in that way. It quite brings us full circle. Uh, if I was to make you pick just one of these seven, um, or seven and a bit. Uh, which one would you choose as the most important to you? Um, God, that is so difficult. That is, that is, that's just really, really difficult. Um, I don't know. I, in some ways, maybe the brief history of time because of how it makes me think, you know, but it's it's a non-fiction book, and I think if I had to go for a fiction book, probably the one that that speaks to me in a lot of ways more is a kind of loving. Lovely. Probably um, my themes in a lot of ways. <laughs> um, and obviously, uh, the woman, the women who ran away—that's just been published. Um, but what's next for you? What are you working on now? Well, um, obviously, The Women Who Ran Away has just been published, so I finished it, you know, uh, closer to the beginning of this, this year. And I, I did have an idea for my, for my next book. Um, I went into a slump, definitely, at the beginning of, of lockdown. And I, I, the only thing I was able to do at the beginning of, lo of lockdown was listen to Desert Island Discs. And which, which we spoke about earlier on. And that was why I was thinking, yeah, more books, less music. Um, but I have, I have a theme that I that I want to write about, and um, so I, I, I think I, I certainly I'm, I'm going to write this book. Um, I started writing this book, and uh, I hope, I hope again it kind of hits a lot of the things that I, that I, that I enjoy writing about. You know, um, women in in particular circumstances, and and having to maybe overcome certain certain things, and and make decisions about her future. So I'm looking at that. Um, there were a number of things, <clears throat> excuse me, that, that I, I had planned for over the, the summer months. I'm, I'm involved in a children's creative writing project. And I have still been involved in that on a, on a distant way, on a Zoom way. Um, 
but I'm hoping that we will be able to get back and in, in a more physical way, maybe in, in September. Um, they've been writing, it's, it's, a, it's along with uh, Roddy Doyle. He, he, he um, has a, a workshop called Fighting Words and uh, it's for mainly young people and exploring their creativity. And <clears throat> we've, done, we've done stuff with, with, you know, early school children, you know, uh, children of about five and six, a little bit older than that maybe, and, and teens. They have published books of short stories. We've done lots and lots of work with them. Um, so on a remote level, uh, what we were doing this year was the getting the children, try getting children, inviting children to submit stories about lighthouses. So I've been editing stories about lighthouses uh, for the past while, and, but they're being brilliant. The children are absolutely brilliant and it's going to be published in a book. But the thing about it is that, that you know, it is nice to work physically with, with people as, as opposed to just distantly. And, um, and the other thing that would have been on this year that I'm very involved with um, is a literary festival that's held in a shopping centre. Um, because a lot of liter literary festivals, certainly in Ireland, but I mean, think around the world, are held in beautiful locations and really nice places. But we wanted to, I wanted to, you know, have it rooted, really rooted in the community. And so um, my, one of my local shopping centres were, you know, were involved in this last year and it was fantastic. It was a brilliant success. And we were going to run it in September, but because of the setup of the shopping centre and COVID and everything, it's not going to be possible to do this year. So we're hoping to do um, uh, some online stuff instead, just to tick tide it over and then come back bigger, brighter and bolder next year with a, with a bit of luck. What's the name of that festival if people are interested it's in it? Donamede Literary Festival. And you spell that D-O-N-A-G-H-M-E-D-E -E for, for people who are not from Ireland. And finally, um, just tell us a little bit about your new book, The Woman Who Ran Away, for anyone who is uh, looking to pre-order or order it. Order it, yeah, well, I, I hope they do. Um, it's about two women um, who don't know each other at the start of the book. So it's a, about a friendship that springs up between the women. They meet on a car ferry on the way from Ireland to France and that's they're, they're traveling separately and they're traveling alone which is kind of unusual because you know it's no different I'm sure to the car ferries running from the UK to France it's nearly always families going on camping holidays and things like that um, but they meet briefly on this and they're both traveling as I said alone and for different reasons the older woman Grace she's she's just in her 60s and she she has a big plan about what she's going to do because she's following the instructions of her late husband who has set her a kind of a, a literary treasure treasure hunt, bringing her through France and Spain. And she has to solve clues in every place. And she has a very strict timetable. And so um, all her time is completely mapped out for her and her uh, where she's staying is, is, is mapped out for her. So, and she is that kind of person in herself. Um, the other uh, woman, Dira, um, is just approaching her 40th birthday and she has come out of a 12-year relationship and it has ended very badly and very messily and she didn't know whether she was going to come away she's she's coming on what was meant to have been the joint holiday but she's coming along on her own and she's she's kind of robbed her her ex-partner's car to, to do it and um she has no plan and she's she she's kind of thinking i'm just going to go and drive and wherever the road takes me um but circumstances forced the two women together for various reasons and so they end up forced together and they end up tra traveling together and so it's really these two women becoming friends having completely different views about 
life and completely different reasons for traveling. Um, but both of them learning about each other and learning each other's backstory, which like, you know, obviously unfolds as they, as they travel and beginning to, to advise and help and be sounding boards for each other. So that by the end of the physical journey, and obviously Deer is actually really good at, at solving some of these, these, these clues. But at the end of the physical journey, they've also um, moved on in their own lives. And so that when they return to Ireland, they, they are looking at their lives in a, in a completely different way to, to previously. So, uh, I mean, one of the great things about it from my point of view was um, bringing people and bringing my characters and hopefully my readers to just some of the most fantastic places in France and Spain. I have a home in Spain as well. And so I, I know the area and I have done this, this particular journey myself, although not quite in the same way. But um, so all of the places have, have kind of um, links to, you know, uh, literary characters. We go to Pamplona, which is linked with Hemingway and uh, Granada, which is linked with Lorca and things like that. So I've, I've kind of indulged myself a little bit. Um, but the locations and the places I brought, that was a joy and it was really nice to it's not a travel book, you know, but it's nice to bring people on a on an actual physical journey in 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 the book. And uh, somebody did say to me only this morning that it's a great staycation book because you you're going away even though you're stuck at home. And in fact, I have to say that um, one of Hemingway's own quotes did inform a little bit of my thinking on the book because he he said in the the sun also rises you you can't get away from yourself by moving from, from place to place and that was part of what i was thinking of when i when i was writing the, the book so um yeah i mean but it, like all my books i'm a storyteller you know and and i hope people enjoy the story I was just thinking uh, as you're talking that it sounds like the perfect book for anyone at the moment because you can go on holiday uh, even when we can't. <laughs> we can't exactly. leave the country. Exactly, yeah. So, um, you know, and I hope people get that. I hope you get the sense of being away. And uh, yeah, well, fingers crossed. You, it's always very nerve wracking actually when you've got a book out um, and hoping that people will enjoy it. But I, I hope they do. I'm sure they will. Sheila, thank you very much for joining me. That was a pleasure. Thank you. My guest this week was Sheila O'Flanagan, and her latest novel, The Women Who Ran Away, is available to order now at birthbooks.co.uk. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate it, review and share with your friends. Join me next time when another guest will be exploring their shelf life.